Welcome to another episode of the Bandwagon Podcast. And today is, I think, a few times when you kind of chance it on Instagram and um, you get a reply and then you absolutely shit yourself. And then you just book it in without me checking things. I was like, right, it's got to make, it's got to happen. So today is a, um, I think when you go through and you look and you, you look at individuals and what they've achieved, not only within their own culture, but in mainstream as well, and done it so seamlessly from the appearance, from perception. Um, this guy is one of the, uh, at the top of the tree. So without further ado, welcome to uh, Nahal Arthanaiken. Welcome. Hey, what's happening, Ricky? I'm great, man. How are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we're out here. We're just, I've actually got a few weeks off, so it's really cool that you, you DM'd at exactly the right time. I think that's just that's just the power of uh, faith and destiny. Yeah, no, it's good. You know, it's good. It's good. And then obviously, I looked through and I saw that people that I know and respect, like Juggy and stuff, have yeah. chatted to you. And I was like, okay, cool. cool. Yeah, I, I think so I think the statistic is is when you the average time span of a podcaster giving up is episode seventy, and I think you might be around that bit. So. If I can, if I can plow onto a hundred, I just need to beat that demon in my head because it's I just it's just that psychological barrier to just get wow. through. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, 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 of course. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? I just wow. like it, you know. If like if someone reaches out, try and just try and help, innit? Yeah, yeah. I feel like I've spent quite a lot of time with you actually. So, um, and I'll, I'll I'll kind of explain this. So. I had um I, I got your book on audio um I got the audio book on Friday so I've had about six hours with you oh, wow. uh, over this over this weekend wow. and um it's it's a very strange it's a very strange feeling because so your book I'm just gonna get it out of the way and then I want to go back and 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 kind of weave it in in some way so you've you've released the book um let's talk um how to have better conversations and i think there needs to be a bit of a podcaster uh, edition of it as well because it's about there you go look look how beautiful that is all uh, available on all good uh, platforms there's a plug i'll put a plug on uh, the description you, link so anyone can have a look at it just put it through i won't blag a, a code on there because nobody's <laughs> going to listen to me anyway so it, yeah. it is what it is you know with your experience of when you're putting a book together like that do you um do you how do you mesh both worlds one from kind of your media point of view where you're interviewing people but then there's a but then the, you kind of separate it to kind of a, a conversation piece so I I, I listen I was listening to your your bits um and it's and I'll go through a couple of chapters that really stuck out for me um were you kind of was it already instinctive that you already naturally have these abilities and that you took it into your media profession um and to get the right responses out of people? No, it, it's a... Well, the only natural thing, Ricky, is you're curious and you're interested in people and you empathise with other people. I think that's quite a natural thing to have. But in terms of learning how to actually have conversations with people, it's about doing it. And, you know, I've been doing this for years... I mean, just on Five Live alone, if you think about it, I've been there for six years. I do 12 hours a week. It's speech radio, not music radio. So, and I do about, I don't know, 46 weeks a year, right? For six years at 12 hours a week. I haven't done the maths, but 
you know, that's a lot of talking, right? And it's a lot of refining. But really, I learned how to do it, I think, without knowing I was learning on the BBC Asian Network. You know, having a phone-in show. Also, as well, because the team was so small, we didn't have the opportunity to book lots and lots of guests in, Ricky, right? So you would end up doing long conversations in the second hour and the third hour. You may have just one guest for the whole hour. And yes, you'd be able to play music in between, but you really had to work to understand who it was and make the interview not just a series of pre-prepared questions, because you can't really write that many questions for an hour. I mean, that's a lot of questions. Mm. So you end up really just learning about the art of having a great conversation. And that's what I did. So it wasn't Radio One that did that for me. It was the BBC Asian Network that did that for me. And it saddens me that now there's not a show on the BBC Asian Network where someone who is curious, who's an empath, who wants to find out about the human experience, there's no longer a space in daytime for that type of broadcaster. So because you've got, I kind of, because I, I knew you I from your, your musical kind of uh, career as well. And then when I heard that the, the, the kind of, I would call it the question time kind of format, the way that you were putting it across and you're asking the questions that I wanted to ask, I was like, I can see this. There was a, there was a, a kind of a natural pathway, but the way that your trajectory has gone up, you know, you can't fluke that. And I think even the, the, the um, there was one title of your chapter, which was said the mechanics of a conversation, which was just like, okay, let, let, let's break. And I've kind of learned this through doing podcasting is where I wasn't actually sometimes listening to the person who I'm interviewed. I'm almost kind of formulating what my next question is going to be to sustain the conversation to for it to stay alive. And I was always thinking, is that, does that come across in the way that I'm, interacting and engaging with someone in my am I a liar because I'm not listening I'm not actively listening to somebody or how can I how can I take the idea further with um, with the person of being empathetic um I always find how did you was there any particular part of the um the book when you were putting it together that you were much closer to than other other bits because you you were you were more connected to yeah I mean I don't on a day-to-day basis, do research on the history of conversation. So finding out about Dr. Samuel Johnson in London, then finding out about Xenophon in ancient Greece, you know, going back a thousand years and finding the first recorded and a conversation in English, you know, finding out those things were, you know, revelations to me. You know, to because I wanted to get across to the reader that conversation is an art form and has been regarded as such for centuries. So it's not new. It's just a reminder. And the things that I found obviously most natural to me were where I sat down and did like you and I are doing now, Ricky, mm. a Zoom with some really, really interesting and important people. And then, of course, transcribing those interviews and coming up with thoughts off the back of what these brilliant people had said, whether it's the former president of Ireland, Mary McAleese, or the Emmy award-winning filmmaker, Dia Khan, or the, you know, FTSE 100 chair and 
super successful entrepreneur and businessman Rick Haythornthwaite, or, you know, former police crisis negotiator John Sutherland, right? These are the things that I do and I do very well because I just know how to do it. But then, of course, it's very different, you know, having a conversation on radio, it's been and it's gone. Whereas when you're doing something like this, you are constantly having to edit and re-edit. And that was something that was really difficult and took me so out of my comfort zone. But it's really made me become a better writer. Because when you write a book, especially when it's your first book, which is what Let's Talk is, Ricky, you end up writing it down. Then your editor edits it. Then they send it to another editor who you never meet, you never have a conversation with. They don't even work for the publishers. They're purely independent. And that's brilliant because it means that they will be as harsh with it as they can because they'll just say, that doesn't make any sense. You know, your editor at your publishers, they know you. So they'll give you perhaps certain leeway and they go, okay, that's Nihal, I get him. Whereas this person doesn't know you. So that became brutal. I remember being in South Africa in, you know, I didn't finish the, I mean, the book came out on August the 18th. I didn't really finish it until the end of March, April. So just four months before release. That was supposed to be a family holiday, weren't it? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I was in Cape Town in South Africa with my wife and kids and our friends staying at their place in Cape Town. And, you know, I was up till one point, I think I was up till five, six in the morning working on edits for this book. You know, it had to be done. But that's kind of how I like to work. You know, I probably could have done it easily. You know, today I'm starting on the second book. I've just started writing the second book um, and I'm going to go to um to a place and, and and start writing again today the plan anyway for the second book to to pitch to the publishers i mean the publishers already know the idea and they really like it they just want to see a two-pager oh that's going to be the follow-up podcast so i'm going to put that there so did it did it unpack a lot of emotion as you kind of when you look reflect on your own life and some things that you've kind of put away and then you think, oh, that there was an unexpected feeling. I'll give you an example. So I went to go and do um, a sensory deprivation tanker for my birthday a few years ago. So my, my wife bought it, um, bought it for me. Classic Joe Rogan kind of rub-off effect. I thought, right, let me have a look at this. Went into this sensory deprivation tank, got in tune, was relaxed and stuff. And I got to a bit where I found must I was kind of confronted with myself. So everything's gone. It's just pitch black. Right. And yeah. um, and I didn't like what I found, and it ruined the rest of my day. <laughs> it ruined why, actually why a few days. You, yeah, but why didn't you like what you found? What was it? I think what happened was was that I was masking some of my true true. Bit. I was distracting myself with quite a lot of things of not actually getting comfortable with my own presence. So I was spinning loads of plates of doing it. And when I've got when I've got in there, I, I felt imposter syndrome. I felt this. This you mentioned one part of it, where how the impact of social media, for example, is kind of lost the art of conversation, but it's also lost the art of being with yourself because everything is so fake and pretend what you're putting out. You're glossing over what it actually looks like. And I think the, the layers and layers have, have, have gone to me. People perceive me in one particular way. When I stripped that away and I was just left with it, I just felt myself as being that young kid again, where I was trying to impress somebody, trying to show off in a way. 
And I just didn't like it. I thought, you know, 30 odd years of my life, I'm still exactly the same. I, I didn't feel like I, I, I'd progressed. And uh, when I came out of it, I was sitting there and I, it really, I couldn't shake it off until a week or so later, those layers found its way back in and, and do that. So I think I needed a little bit of a kind of a closure experience with somebody just to have a chat and say, this is what, what, what came out of it. Um, but I'm, I'm a bit worried to do that again because, you know, so it was just best for me. Mm. But I mean, I guess ultimately, ultimately, even though you were pissed off on the day, it must have led to you, you know, asking questions of yourself that will ultimately lead to a better you and a, more, a you that you're more comfortable with, right? I think I think what came out of it was um, how at this moment in time, when you when you do speak to somebody, they ask your opinion on something, right? Let's let's to bring it football. If somebody, I know you're a Spurs fan. If you asked someone's opinion about one of your like Son, great player, blah blah blah, and somebody early on in his career when they first saw, him, oh, I'm not impressed with him. You know, he's a bit, he's, he's rubbish, blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. I think nowadays, because you've already vocalised and you've had that opinion, to publicly say I've changed my mind, something is seen as a weakness. Okay, yeah. And, um, yeah, and my, my book is the triumph of changing your mind. Really. Exactly, and that's how I I've, I had that summarised in that it's okay to change your mind. Yeah. And um, yeah, absolutely. And I, and I, I don't think it, we get that forum or allowed to say it because once you've said an opinion, right, that's your colours to the mast. It's got to stay there. You can't do, you can't change anything anymore. You've said that once now. You've got to stay with it for the rest of the, the rest of your life. And um, I did come out feeling that sense again from actually, you know, with the book, which was we should be able to say in a conversation, you know, I'm actually convinced your best piece of evidence of something versus my best piece of evidence. I think yours was pretty, you know, better. It was good. I'm convinced. Yeah, I'll change my mind that you're allowed to do that. But I think social media doesn't allow that at all because either you've got photographic evidence of you saying something or you've got a status that you'll never be able to shake off again and be counseled for in some stage of your life. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's true. But then again, Ricky, you shouldn't confuse social media for a co- real conversation. It's not a real conversation. Right. But you- you did say in, in, in one of your bits where as people are just conversing on phones and stuff, how often do people actually speak to somebody right in front of them is, is dwindling. Mm. And yeah. so when, when you, how to converse, having a, is a skill to work on to, to chat and then to have a skill online and speaking on, on, on a tablet form or anything is also a different kind of skill and they just don't mesh. No, 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 they don't. But the fear comes that when you are, the fear is that you will fool yourself into thinking that you're actually having conversations with people on WhatsApp groups and but you're really not. I mean, I'm going through this at the moment with a group of men. I'm on a WhatsApp group. And I'm quite close to kind of coming off the WhatsApp group because we don't talk to each other. I, I don't have conversations, like actual conversations with any of them. And... um and it's now got to the point where I feel it's not real. Mm. It's not. It's not a real. Um, yeah, it's not a real relationship. Um, and there's only a few of them on the group, 
there's like 10 or 11 on the group, but I don't, I don't, I don't get the feeling that I know really any of them apart from maybe two or three of them. So why, 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 why am I going to stay on the group? It's, it's not. Is that the evolution of the group in terms of kind of like WhatsApp? Did it first start off like that and then it, then it changed? Well, I think part of it is I moved away. And, and as I moved away, I realised that I needed people to stay in contact with me. And there were some who did, and there were some who didn't. And now that I'm six years away from London, I think to myself, well, who were the ones who made the effort and who didn't? And for the ones who didn't, why are they in my life? Like, what, like why? I don't, I don't need to... It's not a numbers game, friendship, right? It's a kind of, it's a quality game, not a quantity game. And I'm lucky enough and blessed enough to have lots of really cool people that I really like. So why be on a group of people that, not that I don't like them, I do like them, but I don't really know them. And if I'm down or if I'm happy or if I'm, I don't feel the need to call really any of these people apart from a few. And then I've got other mates who I need to speak to every other day. Like without question, I need to, you know, I need to catch up with them, you know, um, which is, which is great. You know, it's blessed. I mean, cause as we get older men, our friendship groups shrink until we, we kind of just really our wife and our kids and maybe our immediate family. Mm. Now I don't have really that much family. I've got my brother, my sister-in-law, my nephew, and my mum. That's the only people I've got who are family in Sri Lanka, uh, in the UK. So my friends are a lot to me. So conversation is, you know, is really important. You know, I mean, a friend of mine recently, who I don't speak to all the time, his dad passed away. And my first instinct was to WhatsApp him or to leave a message on his Instagram where he would put that his dad had suddenly passed. And I went, nah. I'm not doing that. I call him. I called him. We had, you know, 25 minute conversation, half an hour conversation. He cried. But he appreciated it. I picked up the phone. And that's what we need to do. Yeah. Oh. It's time, it's time, isn't it? I you know, it you is, say oh, this is the thing, though. This yeah. is the thing. This is the excuse we make ourselves. We say exactly that. Yeah. It's time. We haven't got time. You got time to watch football. You got time to go to the gym. You got time to just scroll through bollocks on your social media. You got time for all of that. And yet none of that really is important. Not as important as a connection with someone. So you have to quit it and I have to quit it with the excuses. Say, so, oh, I'm time poor. And that's one of the reasons where this other group of men, every time I have called them, it's felt like they don't have the time. Like they're almost like they're trying to get you off the phone because they. I know, right? Fine. They. I may have called at a bad time, but no, no attempt was made to say, okay, listen, I'm busy now. I'll call you back in an hour and then call back. Now, that didn't happen. So, time is not a reason. You know, someone once. Uh, I remember talking to a guy once, and he was really like physically fit, and he had a really high-powered job. Like he was a lawyer in the oil industry, right? Super well-paid, really high-powered job. I said, how do you get time to work out? And he said, I just put it in like a meeting. It's just a meeting. 
just happens to be a meeting with myself and my body. That's it. So similarly, you know, call your friends, make time for them. You know, don't say, oh, I've got so much going on. I'm going to clip that because I'm, I'm notoriously known for rubbish texts because I like to pick up the phone and hear someone's voice. Yes, yeah, so I do. I can't. I can't text. I'm, I'm ridiculous. The, the the care that I had to give, even on the three lines that I had to message you on Instagram, was took me it took a while because it's not. It's not like, it worked out. To be fair, yeah, yeah, it picked it picked it up. Were you always like this? So like like a, a young like I I can feel just even from from how you're saying things that there's you're giving the you're giving the vibe of of inner peace. There's peace there. You can't. You're relaxed as well. I'm picking that up. Um, was this always the case as a, a young Nia? What, what what were you like as in that way? Was it something that's followed you through your life until because you were all, you you were a journalist to start off with as well for in a magazine you wrote some within a music mag- so writing has always been a part of you. Were you always yeah, like this? Yeah. Um, I think part of it, if I'm honest, Ricky, was a survival instinct. You know, as a little brown boy in a predominantly white school in the 80s where there was still as I got to secondary school there were still skinheads around right like there was still that part of it was you understood that you have to make allies like you have to get on with people if you don't get on with people you're going to be that lonely Asian kid maybe huddling in the corner with two other Asian kids so I got stuck in with the football and stuck in with rugby I played rugby for my school Mm. Uh, I was swam for my school you know, just got involved, really, you know, and tried to fit in, really. And that involved talking. But, you know, I also inherited it from my mum. My mum's amazing at talking to people. She was a nurse in the NHS for over 30 years. She's brilliant at talking to people. She'll talk to anyone. She would talk to absolutely anyone. And so will I. And I've inherited that from her, definitely. My dad was more taciturn. He he wasn't really that guy. But, yeah, I've I've, I've inherited that for sure. Um, and then added to it, as I said, it's like a survival instinct. You're right about it. My mom's a nurse as well, and she she's oh, okay. she's yeah. got yeah she's got it's got that kind of skill. So so yeah, what, your journey into music then was that kind of a natural like a natural passion, or was that again another way of kind of fitting in or breaking out? Um, yeah, so so your 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 journey into music was that something that you kind of naturally broke out? Or you is a, a passion there, or was it you know how 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 would you do it? How would you describe it? Definitely a passion. I loved everything about how music made me feel. I loved dancing. Even at primary school, we were trying to work out dances, and hip hop was everything to me. Like when hip hop culture came in, suddenly it went from my early days at secondary school, I remember as being, being white was everything. So if you were non-white, that could potentially be a problem. But as soon as hip hop culture came over from America, being brown or black, specifically black, but being of color was a massive thing. Because all your heroes suddenly that you were watching, they all had melanin. They were all brown and black skinned. They were break dancers and rappers and graffiti artists and DJs. So suddenly it was cool. And I discovered rap music and I loved it. I absolutely 
fell in love with hip hop culture and the way these rappers in New York, because it was mostly in New York when I started, how they made me feel, not just about myself, but about the world, you know. When Fight the Power came out by Public Enemy, I was 18 years old, right? And I'd already been listening to rap music for four or five years before that. I was probably like 14, 15 when I first started listening. And it just blew me away. And because I discovered I could rap and then I could freestyle rap, it meant that people wanted me in their crew. Suddenly I had a tribe, Ricky, because if you're Sri Lankan, British Sri Lankan, growing up in a village in Essex, where's your tribe? Yeah, you're it's a niche not... of a niche. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's not like you're Punjabi in Wolverhampton. Or, yeah, yeah, you're okay. Or, or, in, or in Southall, or you're Gujarati in Harrow in North London, or you're Pakistani in Bradford. Like, there's no tribe for me. Your stereotype didn't exist? No, no. There wasn't, exactly, there wasn't one. Uh, so it ended up being the case that I would have to, you know, try and find ways of connecting with people. But with hip-hop, I didn't need to. I just loved it. I loved every bit of it. I loved the graffiti art. I loved the, the, the body popping and the break dancing. I love the MCing especially. I love the DJ culture. It was just all there. You know, I started you going some to tracks, London. yeah. You released some actual yeah, tracks. Yeah, well. released some, yeah, at least a track in God, 88, I think. You know, I was on Radio London doing a freestyle. Someone sent me a recording of it the other day. And I it was so cringe because I I put in an American accent put on an American accent to rap, which I lost later on, thankfully. But but there was still slight tinges of Americanism. But yeah, back then you just put on an American accent and I was MC Crazy A. Spelled K-R-A-Z-E-E. Crazy A. Like such an 80s kind of rap. Yeah. Kind of name. <laughs> and um yeah, and that's 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 who I was, right? And it was amazing. Like, it was everything to me. And it is still. Hip-hop culture is still, you know, my son and I went to see Kendrick Lamar a couple of weeks ago. And what I loved was, was my 15-year-old son, he wasn't embarrassed to go and see Kendrick Lamar with his dad because he knows his dad is a massive hip-hop head. He knows that his dad knows what about Kendrick and knows about Central C and knows about Hitty One and knows about all of these rappers that are around today. And... um. It was amazing. It's amazing. Like my son is not a hip hop head. He's a music head, but he loves hip hop. Like he loves Tyler the Creator and Logic and Nas and Eminem. Um, but he also loves Pusha T and Kendrick. Um, and that's great. You know, that's that's you know DJ Life coming up. Yeah, yeah. I don't <laughs> think so. No, he's not. He's not. He's uh, he's very different to me. Like. He's very different in, in many respects. He's he's had privileges that I didn't have. You know, I didn't grow up in a, in the hood, but he's definitely and my daughter have had privileges that that my wife. Oh, did they, they don't understand. Like it's funny because I got like a ten year old daughter and I got a six year old son, and like they've only just been, so my son he's been experienced to like Bruce Lee loves Bruce Lee Jackie Chan. My, da my daughter knows about Wu Tang because I keep playing it in the car. So they 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 know what dad is about. We can uh, Saturday I bought a He Man toy figure 
So I'm trying to live my life through them again. And they actually kind of embrace it until on certain aspects when I play some different styles of music to, especially my daughter, she's not interested. And I'm like, I, 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 I get, I get mini heartbreak at the time, but then I have to understand her musical experience is going to be different because she can start playing the piano now and she's well into it there. So I've kind of got this secret back door that I can kind of pull her back in. But yeah, yeah, when you is. connect and especially when your kids have the same kind of passion, but they don't have the, like the privilege again, like I'm a big Bangla head, but like when yeah. we like to go, a new album was coming out, get off the bus, go that experience of buying a tape. That feeling is is unbelievable compared to when they're seeing a, a track and it's just download or just add Spotify, to just stream it, right? Just ask Alexa or you ask Siri or whatever to stream Kills it. Kills it, man. Do you, how do you how do you look back on it as a kind of a, a music connoisseur of that the evolution? Is it is it something where you where you kind of embrace the times? This is what it is, and you can accept it, or do you kind of be super nostalgic? Because I think some people, just my opinion kind of short circuit themselves they really just they don't really evolve they just stay in that one bit and it should always be like that yeah I mean if anyone ever asks me you know what's your favorite music what's your favorite song I will always say I haven't heard it yet right that way you just keep it interesting you know um Spotify have release radar so you just put the release radar playlist on when you're driving along and you'll hear some songs, right? You'll just hear what is going on at the moment. Um, and I'll discover music by Jungle or Bicep. Or, you know, I, I had a brilliant punk record that Jack Saunders from Radio 1 played me the other day um, by the, uh, uh, a punk outfit called the Lamborghini Girls, right? Like, amazing, amazing. I'm a little bit concerned with the Asian music scene because I feel like, I guess there's the AP Dillons and obviously the sad, sad um, killing murder of Sidhu Musawala. But I feel like the UK Asian music scene hasn't really jumped off. Like, you know, maybe that's because I'm old now and I'm not really listening to it. No, no, I I think it's, you know, I've spoken to a few artists and stuff. And even when they've come on and they've said, I've got a podcast with Shin either might be out or coming out, where he's, he basically said, he goes, after us lot, it's virtually dead. You know, from yeah, but a- I, I see, I, but, you know, I remember when Bobby Friction and I came through on Radio 1, that was Jay Sean, Rishi Rich, Juggy D, Ragev. Like, these guys were doing Top of the Pops. They were signed to major record labels. They were touring. You know, there was a an Asian, like, area at Glastonbury there was all this stuff happening and then I don't really know I mean they're coming back now with this like DJ collective daytimers and these kind of guys but I slightly worry with that that again it's like the the mainstream media kind of going oh look at the exotic Asians again you know whereas all of that media Guardian and all that they all stayed away from Jay and Rishi and Juggy like it wasn't cool enough for them but it was real to asian kids yeah similarly they did the same thing with talvin singh or do you know what i mean like it was like white liberal media kind of saying oh this is cool look at these asian kids when the real stuff like my club night bombay bronx never gets written about never but bombay bronx everyone came through that riz ahmed 
rap battles at Bombay Bronx, right? Bombay Bronx, Jay Sean on stage, Rishi, Juggy, Ragev. Like, it was the spot to, in London to come and, and do it. And it, I read a piece recently, and, and they were talking about, again, daytimers and all these guys, Young Singh, this, him and, yep. and, his, and his crew. And um, it's like they didn't mention any, because they don't really know. It's not documented. Really and in fact, they also as well tend not to mention Bobby and I on, on Radio 1, right, these pieces. They'll mention Talvin Singh. Apache like, gets a, a fleeting mention sometimes. Yeah, or brim full of ashes. Asha, yeah, yeah. Right? yeah. Like they'll mention these things, and maybe PMC Mundial. Yeah. Maybe, or even that doesn't, because they're. Cooler Shaker. Not... <laughs> they're yeah. really... <laughs> wow, wow, shit. Like, if they mention something like that, then they're dead to me. Yeah. But it's kind of weird. Like, you don't want to come across as a guy who's like bitter that, because I know what my legacy is. I'm confident like that. But I just feel like, as a journalist, as someone who's trying to do things. I always strive to try and understand a scene and understand the context to it because obviously as a hip hop head, I know about Grand Wizard Theodore who invented scratching. I know about Cool Herc who invented hip hop. I've interviewed both of them. I've interviewed Africa Bombata, like uh, the founding fathers of hip hop I have interviewed. So I know my stuff. Whereas some of these guys now, now they've got the latest Asian thing that they want to be jumping on they still don't really and i kind of it does sadden me that you wouldn't mention bobby and i because i was on radio one doing asian beats for 12 years right 12 years and in that time we played an extraordinary array of music and there are producers like steel bangles and adp and these guys that came through that right and they got recognized through that so it's kind of weird what I'm going to ask you the impossible question, really, and um, which is, you know, what's the solution then when you when you're looking back on it? Is there is there a solution? Um, I mean, look, there's Priya Ragu, there's Joy Crooks. I mean, Joy Crooks, who's half Bangladeshi, she got nominated for the Mercury Music Prize. And um, while the music may not be particularly desi, why should it be? Um, her imagery definitely um, plays on her heritage, right? And going to Bangladesh and discovering that part of her and who she is. So there's definitely movements there. Like, So we didn't have a Joy Crooks when I was at Radio 1. In all the years I was at Radio 1, I don't think a single Asian act, as far as I can imagine, got nominated for a Mercury Prize, right? So there's definitely things happening. Priya Raghu is fantastic, right, what she's doing. Um, so there's a there's movements, and I think maybe there's one or two Asian MCs out there. Not none to the level of you know, Stormzy or Central C, right? Um, but you know, there's still Sparker Man is out there from Birmingham, who's doing stuff and doing good numbers on YouTube with Mookie alongside him singing. And you know, I brought those guys through. You know, I gave them their first radio interviews back then. Um, depends you see the problem that the asian scene had was that you have the bhangra the punjabi right but that doesn't relate to gujaratis or sri lankans mm. right 
it might relate because of the Punjabi to Pakistanis, but there's so many songs about drinking alcohol that you're not, that's equally not going to rate. Then you've got someone like Imran Khan that comes out and, you know, I've heard it before that some, some people don't like to hear Imran Khan because he's Pakistani. Right. So there's so much division within the Asian community like that. Now, look, obviously because of my age, I haven't, I'm not going to freshers do's right. Asian freshers do. So I don't know what's happening in that respect. Maybe yeah, it changed. Right. <laughs> or maybe they're still playing Dr. Zeus and 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 DJ Sanj and they're playing Mundia and I don't know. And then they're playing the latest Bollywood. So, but then of course there's a whole Tamil music scene, right? And because because the Punjabi community is such a big vocal community in the Asian within the Asian communities, it tends to kind of feel as though all of the music that's coming as Asian is Punjabi. The thing that I can't understand is why is it that BTS can be massive, singing in Korean, and my piano music out of South Africa could be huge, but Bhangra hasn't. And one of the problems with Bhangra, that it's not very melodious. It doesn't have great melodies. It, it's a vibe, but it's not a great song. And songwriting is about universality. And a lot of the bhangra that you and I would like, if you if you listen if you listen to Kuldeep Manak, for instance, right? Um, raw folk music, like raw Punjabi folk music, they're not they're not universal songs. They're not melodies that someone who doesn't speak Punjabi could just hum along to, particularly, right? And that's a problem. You know, that is a problem. And also, I don't think bhangra has the instrumentation necessarily. The tumbi. There are no chords, right? Right, the dumbi and the doll, which form the ba- the basis of Bhangra mm-hmm. music, is about a vibe, right? Whereas you listen to Ama Piano music, which uses a lot more modern instrumentation, although saying that, I mean, you mentioned Shin from DCS. They were proper bands, right? Like they had all the instrumentation, keyboard. He, he, he kind of backed up a little bit what you were saying, but with a bit of different examples where he was like going, some of the older school music had different pieces that were put together, violins and all these other people. Where yeah. A lot of the newer music does it. It's all designed for kind of the dance floor wedding scene. It isn't yeah. nothing else coming out. So those musical pieces have actually kind of gone out. I think the only bit where which is kind of transcended, gone across is Siddhu's a little bit. Well, it has because obviously we've got Drake, Acknowledge, and all these guys. But it hasn't got many much Indian instrumentation in there now. It's just trap beats and and um, yes. going across Bollywood. Bollywood, on the other hand, is amazing at melody. <laughs> they write songs. That's what they do. Right. I just read a really interesting article with Quincy Jones. It's like four years old, but someone sent it to me. And he was just talking about this, the art of the song. You know, actually, you know, Punjabi by nature writes songs, right? Um, brilliant, brilliant songs. PMC, Dorjigiro Da, right? Da, 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 da. Yeah. That's a, there's a melody, right, to that. But it's not as kind of funky as as Afrobeat, right? It's just it's just hasn't quite. I think any over. successful is, is being the fusion of both. It's not just the singular purist mm. that song where 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 you had a hip hop beat mixing with Mundi Atabatske, yeah. and then you had like 
um, jungle being used in the reggaeton being used in it quite a lot. Uh, to have it, the pure soul one of it is 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 very rare. I don't think that's even happened because I don't. Mundial de Bachke is like a fusion song, isn't it? There isn't well, a Debbie, pure version. Debbie was really good at songs. If you listen to that album, which is what twenty years old now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's killing <laughs> And I he's mean, still getting his shows, man. He's smashing that. Because right? he is the Punjabi rock star, right? There's no better live performer than Juggy D, right? Like, he's unbelievable. I mean, Gurdas, man, is, like, extraordinary, right? Jazzy for me. Jazzy. I, I love Jazzy. Oh, yeah. Jazzy B's good. Yeah, Jazzy B's good. Um, But, you know, Akia, right, by Juggy D, right? Akia is one of the most beautiful, not Punjabi songs, just songs. I don't speak Punjabi. I don't know what Akia is about. But I put Akia on and I'm just like, well, I think Mentor produced that. Um, Mentor Beats. I mean, what a song. That extraordinary piece of music. You know, remember, I'm Sri Lankan. So when I listen to a Bhangra record, I'm not listening to the lyrics. Yeah. I don't understand it. I was, I mean, I was I'm, just going to say, I was like, your, more, your ear is much more refined, isn't it, in terms of what? For you're you're able to take a lot a large selection of music, and if it clicks with you, you 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 can analyze it a lot better than a yeah. lot of others. Well, it has to have a universality of song because for me, for you, Ricky, you're listening to a, a bongo record, and you know, like you know what they're trying to get across, right? Whereas I hear it, and I'm just listening for the melody. I'm listening for the chorus. I'm listening to how I emotionally connect with it, not lyrically. Mm. Because other than the obvious words, sharab and sharabi and those kind of words, right? Um, I don't really relate on a lyrical level. I relate on how the song makes me feel. And ultimately, that's the universality of music. That's why, you know, Despacito becomes a massive record. How many people know what... De I, I don't know what Despacito means, no. right? But how many people loved that record gangnam style right look at gangnam style well, whatever you think of the quality of that record you know that was a global phenomenon right that record and you know that other than mundia i'm just trying to think what is a asian record that's had that kind of global i don't know you see, in Birmingham, in Birmingham uh, obviously there's the disclaimer that it's in, it is in Birmingham. You get, you will start hearing a lot of main, the mainstream bars and stuff playing a little bit AP, like Brown Monday or something like that. Um, no, so right. it, it is, it is going across. But there is. Well, a, he's a phenomenon. Like I, yeah. I mean, his I'm numbers are mad. Huh? His numbers are crazy. What yeah, 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 yeah. They are, and, and look, it's great that AP did a show, and that was another thing. Is like the a lot of the Bhangra music became about club shows, like just coming on doing three tracks over an instrumental and or big nights where there's like eight or you. I mean, I just did Desi Live. Um, I co-hosted that with Harps Core. And it was amazing that Prash and the guys at Desi Live said, look, Nihal, you come and do it. It's like an, we're doing a noughties one, an early noughties one. And I can't think, and you know, I, was, I, was, I felt so blessed that Prash said, look, come, you co-host it with Harp. So you've got Harp's core, the next generation, right? And then you've got me, the old guy, the <laughs> right, oh, on stage. But because of all of those people who were there, you know, Punjabi MC was there, Punjabi Hit Squad was there, Juggy was there. It was so cool to return to my 
kind of Radio 1 roots from like 20 years ago and do that. It was amazing. And they're dropping the video of that soon, actually, because there's Desi Live March 23 coming, um, which is going to be incredible. I won't be involved in it. But yeah, it, 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 I was I was messaging Prash yesterday because he's come, he's just come back over from uh, Mumbai doing stuff with Divine and st- like oh, amazing. What, the amount of stuff that he does. I want to kind of bring it to you a little bit. I'll still give you the credit and the plug that you were one of the first brown faces on MTV base. So I just yeah. want to kind of get that out there as well. So that's another mm-hmm. thing to put on the resume. You know, when you, I just want to kind of, again, coming towards the end and bring it around. Do you, do you think that the role of the Asian network, for example, needs to be kind of looked at again because of some of the things that you said, because it hasn't, it, it's got, it's, it's stuck in its time. You, you're a BBC kind of veteran in that way that you've seen that you've gone through TV, music on radio as well. That does that actually kind of hinder it? That it's not universal. It's kind of just dedicated from there. Because I think like when I look at it, I don't listen to it. Like I, how I don't old are you, Ricky? How old are you? I've just turned forty. Right. So I'm not the demographic. I know that. No, it's trying to target under thirty fives. I think right. But the problem with that strategy is that the Asian community isn't like other communities in that people of two or three generations will come together to listen to the same music, right? It's not like like the majority white population where your parents may not listen to the music you listen to, where there is a strong thread from, you know, from Gurdas Man to AP Dylan, right? There will be a, There'll be a recognition and a representation. So I'm not sure the strategy is as nuanced as it should be. You know, if you're having the same strategy as um, One Extra, they're two different stations, right? And you've got to understand that they're, they're, they're different communities operating in different ways. So I'm not sure. I mean, look, I don't listen to the BBC Asian Network anymore. So I, w- I wouldn't really feel, I, I feel that, Harp's core leaving was a loss because I think she's a really good broadcaster and I think she's really what the network needs um, and the circumstances around why she had to go, which she will, I'll leave her to talk about one day. I don't think reflect particularly well on the BBC, but I don't know, man, like Asian network gave me so much and now I'm on five live. And I've gone mainstream, right? So I still have concern for the Asian network. I still have concern for its future, which I don't, I'm not overly confident about its future. I'd like to be, but I'm also a realist. I'd like to know, you know, it's, I'm sure it's doing some good things. It's good people, you know, Bobby's still on it, Noreen Khan's still on it, and they've brought in some new people. Um, but I don't know, man. We need a place to talk, Asian communities, and I don't know if the Asian Network is given a place, a live place. They might put some podcasts out, but they're not interactive. A live they're, space. Man. they're not raw. I see, like, what we can, like, the podcasts and stuff, because I've had a few offers to go, and I'm like, no man, I want to have be in control of my own content. I want to be able to have a, a genuine conversation with someone, not have an agenda. I have no financial gain attributed to any of it. I just want to have a speak to the people who I want to interview. Yeah, 
I mean, we, I was listening to Richie Brave on um, One Extra last night, which is a talk show, a live talk show on One Extra. I don't think I can hear that on Asian Network anymore. A live interactive talk show. That's weird to me. It feels weird. Why? Well, I'm going to kind of bring it to a, cl a close on this bit. Okay, so this is called a bandwagon. And um, one of the things that I, I do, I offer the space for uh, the guest on. Is, is there a jump? Uh, is there a bandwagon that they want to jump on? Is there a bandwagon to jump off? Or is there anything that they want to get off their chest? This is this kind of free space to uh, unload. Wow, that's quite a thing to present me with. Um, Thank you. Wow. <laughs> I don't know. That's really interesting. I'm I'm in a good place right now, you know. I'm, I'm I feel positive about my career going forward. Um, I'm not really a bandwagon. <clears throat> I t I tend not to. I tend not to. I'm curious. So if that's jumping on a bandwagon, then so be it. But I, remember, I do a job where sometimes I've got three or four books a week. You know, I'm taking these weeks off. But once the World Cup's finished, the first day back, I've got Ricky Gervais on my show. The second day, Ramesh Ranganathan. So uh, we're back in it hard. Um, <clears throat> so I don't know about bandwagons, because I'm not really... Um, <clears throat> I'm always searching for what's good and what's real. So a bandwagon, I think, is when you you jump on something because everybody else is telling you to. And I'm not really that guy. I mean, I would have been. Maybe. I don't know. I think I've always been just interested in what's real. Like, you know, you won't see me wearing the latest thing that someone's told me to wear. <laughs> Like I'll go into like recently, I just bought a, an Indian designer called Cardo, K-A-R-D-O, menswear designer. Amazing, amazing stuff, right? Patchwork, quilt, jacket, super unusual. Everyone will be different. Everyone will be unique. Um, and I started buying some, there's a Scottish brand called Kestin, menswear brand that I really like as well. Most people have not heard of Cardo or Kestin, right? So, you know, I'm not really about that bandwagon life. I'm, I'm, <laughs> if I was, I'd just go to, I'd just go to Selfridges, right? And just go, right, I'll just do all that. Oh, that's got a massive logo on it. I'm wearing a T-shirt by... Um, Sick. By Humble the Poet, right? This is one of Humble the Poet's T-shirts, right? This is, I don't know, this cap, this is like a collaboration between New Era and some Italian fabric designer, I don't know. Um, just just out and i'm trying to you know i'm trying to make sure my kids are individuals in that respect my daughter's got her first acting job uh comes out on apple tv plus in uh, in january which she shot when she was 12 um which is amazing um my son you know when he was 14 he asked for a subscription to gq magazine when he was 14 right like so we're trying to we're trying to make 
make shit unique out here, Ricky, and just give them different. So bandwagons are not really my thing. I don't think. I mean, look, there might be some people who criticize me and and point some out. But that's good. If you ain't getting, if you ain't got any critics of that, you. you yeah, I mean, you're bound to, and, and especially when you get to the level where you've got a million listeners a week, right? Right, that's just my show. That's right? pressure, man. That is, that is it's not really because in radio, Ricky, you're only ever speaking to one person, so you don't think that wow, Ricky Gervais is on. There's a million people. Wow, you just don't think like that. You know, I just look. I just look at it. I'm like, you're like, your role call. You know, the actual people who you've spoken to and done it. I was like, this geezer's killing it. Like, this geezer is on. A level and I think that that recognition of where people are and to say that he's earned his way to get there and for people to follow that as an example I use that for you like you are an example for me in terms of looking at that and I think like it doesn't get celebrated enough or recognized enough that what people are doing because you are you yeah. made things a lot more easier for them and and um I, have, I, I haven't I think that's I, I haven't but I've just I've done it for me and and if someone just goes, okay, if he can do it, I can do it. That's cool. I mean, recently they made me media personality of the year at the Asian Media Awards. And that was lovely, man. Like to go up on stage in front of hundreds of people, yeah. massive picture of my face and to be handed that. That's the big award of the night. That's the last award of the night. To be handed that is an extraordinary privilege. So I'm definitely recognised. You know, I wrote my book, Let's Talk. And, you know, Jeremy Vine, Sarah Cox, Satnam Sanghera, all gave glowing Matt Haig all gave Adam Kay all gave glowing like glowing reviews of this book I'm definitely not starved of recognition I'm good with that right I'm good you know um and that's taken a while but that's it man I really appreciate yeah. it so um thanks man I'm I'm on my uh, second listening of it as, as well so I really appreciate it was I always I've started to say to people oh yeah you know we, we should talk we you know the practice talking practice yeah. talking. yes Yes, but you should also practice listening. That's almost the more important thing. Practice listening, active listening. On that note, thank you very much. I really appreciate that you're taking your time, man, and good luck with the with the writing of the book, and we'll catch up next time when uh, when that's in. Thank you, Ricky. Good Cheers. to speak to you, man. See you.